Welcome again to LexCity.tv. We're so glad you've joined us today for Summer at Lex City. No matter where you're joining us from, we're happy to have you as a part of our online church family. We're so grateful for the way that you generously give to support the ministry of our church. More information about the online giving process can be found on LexCity.info by clicking on Give Online. You can also text to give at 84321. Now let's join Pastor Zach as we continue to focus on Jesus together. Welcome to Lex City Church. Whether you were in person, watching online, whether you're on LexCity.tv or Facebook or YouTube, wherever you're watching in the world right now, we are so glad you joined us today. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here at Lex City. And if you want to follow along with the sermon today, you can go to LexCity.info, click on sermon notes and follow along with us today. And today we're going to be talking about one of the most popularly quoted verses by non-Christians. And it's pretty popular with Christians as well. And it's Matthew chapter 7. Verse one and two, and it's Jesus' words. He says this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So judge not is a very popular verse that non-Christians use a lot. And I think it kind of fits with two of our society's most basic assumptions. Number one, that religion is private. And number two, that morality is relative. People love judge not because it kind of seems like you can say basically like, you can't tell me that I'm wrong because you're not supposed to judge me at all. You begin to make a public assessment of about anything about a moral issue and people will kind of take this verse and kind of throw it in your face as like a deflective weapon anytime you try to talk about things like that. But the problem is Jesus, the one that actually uttered these words, didn't share our society's presuppositions about private religion and relative morality. Our culture says, in other words, you have no right to tell me how to live. You do you, I'll do me. You sin too, you're not perfect. You can't tell me what to do. As long as I'm doing what makes me happy, as long as I'm doing, um, I'm not hurting anybody, then you can't tell me what to do. Don't judge me and I won't judge you. And that's kind of our culture and our society today. And I'm gonna argue this is one of the most pervasive values in our culture today. Because we kind of have this culture of like tolerate everything, every kind of behavior, every kind of belief system, it's okay, right? Do not judge or you will be judged. And it does stink to be judged, right? I mean, how many have ever been judged before? Wrongly judged. Maybe it was by a spouse. Maybe it was by your kids. Maybe it was by a friend. Maybe it was by a coworker. Maybe it was by a complete stranger. But it doesn't feel great to be judged. It doesn't feel good at all. And so it's no secret that this theme alone is probably like the single most reason that non-Christians give why they don't believe in Christianity. People say Christians are so judgmental. Christians are so narrow-minded. Christians are hypocritical. 
And Jesus said, do not judge or you too will be judged. Is that exactly what he meant when he was saying that? In other words, if that's true, then we have to acknowledge that no teacher has the right on an essay to even judge your essay to give you a grade. They could give me a C and I'd be like, well, I really feel like it was more like an A. You don't have the right to judge my paper. If you take it at face value, then no one on a jury has the right to judge or hold someone accountable for a crime. Who are you to say that I'm innocent? Who are you to say that I'm guilty? It's like I could decide that today I want to drive on the wrong side of the road. I want to drive on the left side of the road. And who's to tell me that that's wrong? Because I feel today in my spirit that it's right. Is Is that what Jesus was saying? I think we'd probably agree that at some level, maybe we're allowed to judge. As we unpack this topic today, remember this. You judge someone not when you assess their position, but when you dismiss them as a person. So I read a great blog post this week by a pastor named J.D. Greer, and, it, and it's all about this topic, and it really be, kind of became a self-assessment tool for me. He lists off these seven things that you know you judge other people if you do any of these seven things. And so I'm going to give us a self-assessment today, and I want to tell you up front, honestly, I do all seven of these, not all regularly, but some of them I do them pretty regularly, and it was kind of a gut punch as I began to kind of like unpack these things. And so I want to kind of give them to you guys today and see if they resonate with you, because some of you are watching right now, and you're saying, I don't judge other people. I don't really even need this message. Well, let me list these seven things off, and then you can really take a self-assessment if you need this message or not. So number one is this. You are more enraged at someone else's sin than you are embarrassed by your own. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who was like a great theologian from a long time ago, said that one of the first signs of Christian maturity was a frustration with the hypocrisy of the church and a desire to separate from it. But the next sign of growth was recognizing that the same hypocrisy in the church is present in oneself. So basically realizing that we continue to confront other people with their sin, but realizing the whole time that we need to be painfully aware of, the, of our own sin in our life. Maybe resonate with that one. Number two, you refuse to forgive, or when you forgive, you refuse to forget. To refuse uh, to forgive someone is kind of like ignoring all that God has forgiven you for and saying, I don't need to forgive these people even though God has done so much for me in my life. And to forgive but not to forget is like I've heard it said, a distinction without a difference. It's just another way of saying, I'm going to remind you of this all the time and use it as a justification for being cold towards you. In other words, it's not forgiveness at all. Forgiveness means absorbing the debt and then returning that with love and kindness in return. Number three, you cut off those who disagree with you. This is like the essence of judging. When you disagree strongly with someone, over something like faith or morality or politics. So not things we're dealing with right now at all in our world, right? Like this is probably years ago, but right now, this is something that obviously that we're dealing with a lot. You're basically saying we really can't be friends if we disagree on this issue. And hear me on this. You have to love the person more than you love your position on a particular issue. It doesn't mean you compromise your position. It doesn't mean that you don't even fail to state your position. But what it means is that you stay committed to loving those who passionately disagree with you. The best example of this was when was with Jesus, with Judas. Judas already betrayed him, and he comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, friend, why are you here right now? But you see, he led with the word friend. 
He was like, even though you betrayed me, I'm still gonna extend this hand of friendship. And we compare it to our lives. We betray Jesus all the time with our sin every day, and he still extends this hand in friendship to us. So how can we say we're going to cut someone off from a relationship just because we disagree with them on a particular issue in our lives? We can't do that. Number four, you gossip. I'm sure no one watching has ever gossiped, but for me in my life, right, you, what makes gossip so dangerous is that you are judging someone without giving them a chance to change. At least if you judge someone to their face, they have a chance, right? They could do something about it. And as Christians, we're great at churches about like disguising gossip in a prayer request, right? We're like, could you guys please pray for Karen? Like, she's so Karen right now. She's acting like a Karen. Like, could you please pray for her? That's still gossip. Number five, you refuse to receive criticism. Why do we hate criticism? Isn't it because we hate to admit that we have faults? But if we understand the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that shouldn't surprise you. So when other people point out your sin, your junk, your stuff in your life, you actually be like, yeah, I have a lot more that you don't know about because I'm a sinner, right? Number six, you refuse to correct someone's position. As a Christian, when we refuse to correct someone, it's probably for typically one of three reasons. Number one, we don't want to have an awkward conversation. Nobody enjoys that, right? Number two, we really don't believe that the Bible is true about this issue right here. Or number, or number three, you don't think the person can actually change. But when we assume they won't change and they won't listen, we're actually judging and condemning them from the start. You're leaving them to their sin, never giving them a chance to even change. And we kind of write them off and we don't kind of give them that grace, which leads me to the last one, number seven. You write someone off as hopeless. Listen, we serve a savior who raises from the dead. And it shouldn't faze us when we think someone is hopeless. And I hate to admit it, but as a pastor, I've written people off as hopeless many times. I, I meet with them, I talk with them, I try to invest in them, and I'm like, man, I just, I give up. Like, this person is not going to change. And a lot of times we do because we don't want to have an awkward interaction with them either. And so what we're saying is we'd rather our friends suffer the full consequence of their sin than to speak up. And I think about where would I be, where would you be if people in our lives didn't have the courage to come to us, people that we trust and love, and come to us and say, like, there's something in your life that I see that I need to walk you through this. Where would I be today if I didn't have those people in my life? And there's a balance between grace and truth, and we'll talk about that more later. But as you heard those seven things today, maybe resonated with one or two or all seven, but I think we all need this message. And so it's incredibly complicated, incredibly um, difficult, but incredibly important that we get this right. And so do not judge or you too will be judged. What exactly does that mean? Does it mean that we never have the right to call someone out or tell them that they have wrong behavior? No, but it's complicated. So before we get into our scripture today, I kind of want to give a quick instruction on how do we accurately interpret scripture? Because this one's been misinterpreted for years in our culture. And so how do we do this? There are three things. Number one, we have to understand the context. So basically, when you're reading the scripture, you can't just pull it out of context and just look at that one verse. So basically, what happened before that? What happens after that? Who wrote it? Who do they write it to? What are they trying to speak to? What's happening in the culture at that time? So that is how we kind of look at the context and not pull it out of there, but understand the context. The second thing we know is that the best way to interpret scripture is with other scriptures. The best way to interpret the Bible is with the Bible. In other words, we're not going to interpret it just with our feelings or just with our past experiences. We're going to look 
at the Bible, and then we're going to interpret with the Bible. So we're, we're not going to build a theology based on one verse out of context. We're going to look at the totality of the Bible and see what God says about this topic, and then we're going to build our theology around that instead. And the third thing is we're going to not to be students of the Word, we're going to be doers of the Word. We're going to apply it to our lives. The Bible is not just a text to be studied, it's a letter to be lived. So let's try to do that with the text. Matthew 7, verse 1 and 2, the context, what comes before Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 6, not a trick question, right? And so we're talking about judging. In Matthew chapter 6, one of the big themes is hypocrisy. Jesus was kind of railing on the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the day at the time. And where Jesus is teaching, um, this is kind of a part of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was Matthew 5 through 7. He's kind of teaching the apostles and those that were around kind of like how to live this Christian life. And so he, um, he's dealing with hypocrisy. And we get to Matthew chapter 7, and he says, do not judge. Later on in that same chapter, he says, watch out, be on guard, watch out for false prophets. And so you're saying, wait, I'm not allowed to judge, but if I'm going to deem someone a false prophet, then what do I have to do? I have to make a judgment that this person is not from God. In the very same chapter, Jesus says, do not judge. He's actually implying that you're going to have to make a judgment. So you're saying, what is he really saying here? What I want to do is show that you very clearly that Jesus is not telling us that we should not live with discernment. He's not telling us that we never have the right to speak into the life of another believer. He's telling us that we should be very, very careful and never judge hypocritically. Do not judge or you too will be judged. The same measure you judge others, so too you will be measured. So that's verse one and two. So we're gonna move on to verse three through five in the context. And he goes on to say, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How do you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time I have a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You see, the big theme in this teaching is more hypocrisy than it is judgment. He says, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye then you will see clearly to do what? To remove the speck from your brother's eye. In other words, you're, never, um, you're not ever going to hold yourself back from helping your brother with their sin, but before you do that, man, assess your own life. Look at your problems because you may be actually struggling with the same exact thing. He's saying don't judge hypocritically. In fact, that's the context. So now, now I want to take now, interpret the Bible with the Bible. So we're going to look at this, this kind of concept of judging and hypocrisy and how, what does the rest of the Bible have to say about that? And so what is clear about judging? The first thing that's clear about judging comes from Jesus. And he tells us never to judge superficially. Let's be honest. We do this all the time. I do this all the time. Here's what Jesus said in John 7, 24. This is Jesus. He says, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. But what I hear in that is he's saying there is a time to judge. But when you judge, judge accurately, judge correctly, and don't judge by just mere appearances. Some of you have the spiritual gift of judging by mere appearances. When someone walks in, oh, who does she think she is wearing that or doing this? Or who does that guy think he is? And we begin to judge. Think about it right now. As we all scroll through our Instagram feed, our Facebook feed, Snapchat, whatever you're looking at, we are judging people every day, probably within seconds, by their mere appearances. 
I know this will shock you, but people judged when I was younger that I couldn't play basketball because I'm a little bit vertically challenged. Now, that hurts. Now, I'm not going to lie. They judge accurately, but still, they judge me based upon my appearance. It's so easy for us to do this, to be judgmental of somebody else. Be very, very careful. Don't judge from a distance. We say things like, oh, I see that rich guy, and he spends his money this way, and how can he do that? You don't know the whole story. You took a quick snapshot of his life, of one expense, and you made a judgment about his life, and you dismissed him as a person. You don't know that person could be giving money to so many great charities and so many great things and helping so many people. You may have an interaction with one lady in a store, and she's rude to you, and you go, oh, she's such a, you know, you fill in the blank there, right? But what you don't know is maybe her mom has cancer, and she was at the hospital that day. Maybe she's a single mom. And she's struggling around now. Maybe she just found out from a public school that she has to homeschool her kid. Moms, am I right? Like, that's stressful enough right there. Maybe there's things going on in her life, but instead, we took a quick snapshot by mere appearances, and we made a judgment about someone. He's saying, do not judge. Be very, very careful when you judge people. Now, as a church... And I hope every church is this way. What we're going to do, we're going to be for people who are for God. We're going to be for people who are searching for God, who are on the journey towards God. We're not going to judge people from a distance. We're going to give people the benefit of the doubt. We're going to believe the best. We're not going to judge by mere appearances. We're going to believe and trust the best about people. So number one, never judge superficially. Number two comes from Paul. And Paul teaches us that we should never judge hypocritically. In fact, he's talking to the Roman believers and he's telling them, hey guys, when you're pointing out the sins of other people, you need to understand that oftentimes you have the very same sin in your own life. Be careful. And he says in Romans uh, chapter two, verse one and four, he says this, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself for you who judge others do these very same things. And then in verse four, his tone kind of changes. I love the grace and the passion and the intensity in Paul's words here. He says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? In other words, why are you picking them apart? God has been gracious to you. You think you're perfect? Who are you? God's waiting on you to change as well. He says, does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that God's kindness is intended to turn you from your sins? So in other words, don't judge hypocritically. And what is this that we do? It's so easy. It's so common. What do we do? We tend to accuse others and excuse ourselves. We tend to accuse others and excuse ourselves. We think, oh my gosh, did you hear about that person? What look what they did? And you start judging them. And, and then, but then they say, well, like, and then they say, what about you? And you go, me? Like, no, no, you don't understand. Like, like I didn't, my intentions weren't this. This is just a one-time thing, right? And so what we do, we begin to go, hey, we want, we want to judge other people by their actions, but we want to be judged by our intentions. And I do this all the time. I'm guilty of this. If I'm late to a meeting, oh, this was my, um, I had a situation you don't understand, but if someone else is late to a meeting, I go, oh, man, that's a character thing. They're always late. This is a character thing. And we begin to judge in that way. And here's what I've discovered. The place where you issue your hardest judgment often reveals your deepest weakness. If that didn't sink in, let me say it again. The place where you issue your harshest judgment often reveals your deepest weakness. It's so true. Whenever I find myself quick to judge, 
it's often an indication I need to look in the mirror because it's probably a reflection of something that I'm dealing with that's very similar to the, the thing that I'm trying to judge someone else about. And so when you judge others, you're actually condemning yourself. That's why we have to be so careful. That's why over and over again in the Bible, it says, if you're going to correct other people, be very, very careful. And you may be tempted to sin as well. So we never judge hypocritically. We never judge superficially. Number three, and this one's important, never hold non-Christians to Christian standards. We should never hold those outside the family of God to our family standards. In fact, this is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 12. He said, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. It's so frustrating. I see people all the time on Facebook, Instagram, and they're judging non-believers. I can't believe they act like that. I'm like, they're acting like they're supposed to act. They don't have Jesus in their life. Like, why are you judging them? In other words, if they're believers, if we're believers, aren't we together as believers? As iron sharpens iron, we should kind of push each other towards love and good deeds, right? And so when someone falls away, aren't you supposed to help those family members? Aren't you supposed to help them back into the fold? In other words, at my house, we kind of have a certain amount of rules and we have language that we don't say. We have things that we don't watch, but I'm not going to hold my family rules to somebody else's family. It's not my family. It's not my business. It's your family. And so the same is true in the family of God. If someone's outside the family of God, we don't hold them accountable to our Christian family rules. It's not our place to judge. And this is kind of probably the number one reason why non-Christians don't even pursue a relationship with God or the church is because they look inside the church and they see this happening with, these, with us all the time. And so they don't want to be a part of that. Because Christians say things like, you should never act like that. And they're going, I've seen you. You're not perfect either. You act like that. I realize that many of you watching today would probably say about yourselves, I'm not a follower of Jesus. And I would say you are so welcome to be here. We're so glad that you're joining us today. And you don't have to believe in order to belong. And you can belong before you believe. And let me say it this way. You can belong before you behave the way that others think you should behave. This is the way Jesus was. He went up to people who were doing really crazy bad things and he loved them, but he didn't leave them there. It was Jesus who changed them, not other people. Here's the key. I am not called to change people outside the family of God. I am called to love them, introduce them to a God who changes them. Even the same God who is changing me every day. This is why it's so important that we get this right. Maybe right now you're doing something that's challenging. Maybe you're addicted to something. Maybe there's some sexual stuff going on. Maybe right now you're losing a battle with drugs or alcohol. Maybe you lose your temper. Maybe you just don't know what you believe right now. And listen, if you're here sincerely seeking to know if there's a Jesus and if he's real, if you're honestly pursuing him, then you're welcome here no matter what you're doing right now. No matter what's going on in your life right now, you are so welcome to be here. And if you're coming here on level ground because we're all sinners, we all need Jesus, we all have stuff in our lives, I want to say we're moving toward Jesus together. You're welcome. You're loved. But we will not hold those outside the family of God to the standards of those inside the family of God. It's a God's place to deal with them. It's our place to love one another. And when Jesus said, do not judge others or you too will be judged, he's not telling us that we don't have the right to like speak into someone's life when they're walking through something really, really tough. In fact, we're going to find that there's a time that we as a body of Christ are supposed to come in and help other people. So what does the Bible say about judging? It says, don't judge superficially, don't judge hypocritically, and don't hold non-Christians to the same standards that we hold Christians to. And number four, always help restore fallen believers. 
The reason this is so important is that it's because that this will be you at some point. This will be me at some point. Maybe it's already been you at some point. We're all vulnerable to temptation. We all, we all don't get it right all of the time. In the family of God, when someone strays, family members come and say, we love you too much to let you go down that road. Let's get back on the path towards God together. We all need to be willing to help others and we all need to be open to correction from others. This is what Paul says in Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Don't miss this. He says this. Brothers and sisters. Now, who's he talking to? He said, he said brothers and sisters. He's talking to inside the family right now. If someone is caught in a sin, wait a minute. Wait, who are you to say that's a sin? Who are you to judge that's a sin? What, who are we talking to? People in the family. We agree in the family that God's word is truth. And when the Bible is clear about something, that we're going to live according to that. If someone's living in something that's contrary to the, to the word of God, then we're going to say that's sin. We're going to call it out as a sin. Is that politically correct? No, people don't like to hear that stuff at all, especially today. But we're saying that's our family rules. We don't hold people outside the family to that, but we hold people inside the family to that. If someone that we love is going contrary to God's word, it's called a sin. Those who live by the Spirit should do what to that person? Should we gossip about them? Should we kick them out of the church? Should we kick them while they're down? Should we shoot the wounded? No. What do we do? You who live by the Spirit should restore those people what? Gently. Gently. With the same grace that you would like to be shown, show to them. With the same love you would like to be shown, show to them. With the same grace that God has given to you, we want to give that to those people as well. You restore them. We help them get back on the right path. You do it with love and you do it with compassion. You do it with grace. And then Paul says this, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. It's so important, church, that we get this right. The moment you start correcting others, you could be vulnerable to pride. And we know that pride comes before a fall. And we don't want to fall into the same sin that we're trying to help somebody else with as well. And the moment you start correcting, you have to realize, I have to use wisdom. I have to be wise. I have to have discernment. And then this is beautiful. Verse 2, Paul says, here's what we do. In the family of God, this is what we do. We carry each other's burdens. When some person is down, we take the burden off of them. We love them back. We carry each other's burdens. In this way, we fulfill the law of Christ. We always help restore fallen believers. Let me tell you right now, uh, this is um, who we are as Jesus followers. This is how we do it in the family of God. This is the same grace that forgave, forgives us the same grace that we use to restore others. We don't pretend like it didn't happen. We don't kick people out. We don't shun them. We don't, we don't cut them off. We love them back into the community. If someone is caught in a sin, we call it a sin. It may not be popular in our world today, but that's what we call it. We don't kick the person down because guess what? We sin too. We love them back gently, praying that they could be restored and even promoted to do more things in the kingdom of God because that is the kind of God that we serve. So then how do we do this? This is really, really important. When Jesus came in John 1, 14, 1, 14, he said that he came with full of grace and truth. This is what the text says. When Jesus came, he came, he was 100% grace and 100% truth. And I can't prove this, but I have a theory. In the text, the word uh, grace, which is charis, comes first. I think grace comes first because grace, um, without grace, truth is harder to digest. When Jesus came, he came full of grace and truth. Here's the problem too often in the church world today. When there's all truth and no grace, we kind of drive people away from the church. They say, you ought to behave like this, and God's word says this, and we just give them just this big, heavy dose of truth. 
And then they're basically like, forget this, I'm out of here. I can't deal with this, right? Then you flip it on the other side when it's all grace and no truth. And that looks like this. Oh, God loves you and you can do whatever you want. God loves everyone. You just do you. You do whatever you want. It's all gonna be okay and, and all beliefs are equal and just do whatever you want. That is all grace with no truth. And that leads to enabling, meaning that people can kind of just do whatever they want, behave however they want. And when Jesus came, he came full of grace. It's the loving kindness that draws people to repentance. Repentance is just a big word. The word repent is a military term. It means that I'm walking in this direction and I repent. So I turn about face, I take a full 180 and I begin to walk back away from that sin, from that stuff, from that junk in my life. And that's what God is drawing us to. This is how we as Jesus followers need to love one another. The same way we were forgiven, grace, the same truth that says we need a savior is how we proclaim the love of God to everyone else around us. Those outside the family of God, we don't judge them. We show them grace and we proclaim truth and we enter in relationships. And just like I am a sinner who needs a savior, so do you and the loving kindness of God who accepts you as you are and it's great. So how can we kind of reject that love? Those inside the church, if someone strays, we love them enough to tell them the truth. You're going down a path that's gonna hurt you. I have opportunities as a pastor all the time, even this week, to kind of walk with people and go, I see this in your life. Would you allow me to speak into it? When they say yes, I get to speak into it. And it, afterwards, it ends up being this great, great, beautiful picture of the family of God. And I've had people come into my life and say, Zach, I see this thing in your life. I don't even know if you see it. Maybe it's a blind spot for you. But I see this pride in your life. I see this sin in your life. I want to help you walk through it. And if we can just humble ourselves and say, yeah, thank you so much for seeing that. It's, an, it's amazing what God can do with that. So as we close, as, we, as you reflect, I'm going to ask you a kind of a broad question. And this may not feel like it applies to you now, but let me just say this right now. There are some of you that you've got someone that you love in your life that's a Christian right now. And they're kind of doing something that's dangerous to their own life. It's hurtful to those around them. It's hurtful to their family and to their future. And there's often two kind of wrong extreme responses that we can have to this. One is like no grace, which is like, hey, don't do that. Just stop it. That's not helpful to tell someone just to stop it. That is all truth with no grace. And then the other part that's not helpful is to say, well, it's just not really my place to get involved. It's kind of awkward. I don't want to make it awkward. So then you just don't engage in it at all. And so, but if you're in community with them, if you're in a committed relationship with them, if they're kind of a part of your inner circle, maybe God wants to use you to help bring them back to himself. You may not be walking through that right now, but I promise you at some point, if you're a consistent follower of Jesus Christ, this will happen. And when that happens, we wanna get it right. At the same time, we don't wanna turn people away by judging them according to the standards that are our standards. We wanna love them to the grace of God. And so my question is those of you that are Jesus followers, would you join me in praying and asking God to kind of help us get this right? To do it in a way that honors him but doesn't turn people away, but actually draws them to the loving kindness of God. And so whenever you're faced with this, and you will, in our culture today, you'll be faced with it today. You'll be faced with it this week. It happens all of the time. We wanna get it right. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for everyone that's watching, those that have said, I have a relationship with you and those that are just kind of checking this whole God thing out. But right now I wanna pray for those that are believers that would say, I'm in the family of God. God, I pray that we would handle this issue of judging 
the way that you've asked us to with great care. And then we'd be very, very careful to look at ourselves first, to look at our own stuff first and go, before I can even talk to the person about the speck in their eye, I have to look at the plank in my own. And God, I pray that you would just help us get this right. I know right now, even in the midst of, of, of a pandemic, in the midst of quarantine, and God, a lot of us are, are feeling uh, loneliness and depression and anxiety. And so people are being able to see that in us and just kind of call that out and kind of help draw us out of that. God, I pray that we would do that for someone else this week. God, help us the family of God get this right. And with every, every uh, head, head bowed, every eye closed, maybe you're watching this today and, and, and you say, you know what? I, I'm not in what you call the family of God. And I don't even, I don't know what that looks like in my life yet. I want to tell you right now that like you have an opportunity that the Holy Spirit is drawing you. God is drawing you. That's what you're feeling. God is drawing you into a relationship with him. And so if you're watching this right now, no matter where you're at, no matter where you're sitting right now, I can tell you one thing. Jesus wants a relationship with you. And it says in his word, in Romans 5, 8, it says this, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What that means is that God knows all the sin in my life, all of my mess ups, all of my mistakes, and he knows yours as well. And he says, in spite of all of that, I love you unconditionally anyways. And take it one step further. I want a relationship with you through my son, Jesus. So that's what he's offering you today. So maybe right now you're sitting and you're going, man, I, I feel hopeless right now. Maybe, maybe you've lost your job during this season. Maybe, maybe you're walking through tough stuff with your family. Maybe it's been hard in your home and you're saying, I don't have any hope. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. And I would say that Jesus is where you turn. And I want to encourage you right now, if that's you and you say, that's me, I'm gonna lead you through a very simple prayer. And it's not the prayer that changes you, not the word that changes you. It's, it's your heart just connecting with the very heart of God. So just say something like this. Say, say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sin separates me from you. But today, God, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to change me. I ask you to save me. I'm tired of living for myself. I want to start living for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me be the first to congratulate you on your decision to follow Christ. We are so excited for you as a church. We would love for you to take a next step with us today. If you want to be bold enough, just to kind of click that button right there that says, I prayed. Or you can also go in the chat window and click on that. Or you can go to lexcity.info and click I prayed. We just want to send you some next steps that you can take in your new journey with Christ. We just want to celebrate that with you. And so as we close out today, thank you so much for joining us online. And if you would like more content, more, more sermons, more worship in your life throughout the week, you can go to lexity.tv and click on any of those things and just kind of worship along with us whenever you would like on demand throughout the week. So next week, join us for the last week of Summer at Lex City with Pastor Brian. Thanks for being here. What a great message. Thanks for joining us here at lexity.tv today. Don't forget, all services are available to watch on demand at lexity.church or on our Lexity app. You can follow us on social media at Lexity Church for daily content and photos from the week, as well as updates and upcoming events. Again, we are so glad you decided to join us today, and we'll see you next week right back here on lexcity.tv.